Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Heart of Markness podcast. I'm Mark, and this week's topic is the 1983 Arms Tour, which featured Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page, as, um, along with a zillion other British Invasion stars. Okay, so let's get started. The year is 1983, and it is uh, kind of a a down period for uh, the classic rock stars. Um, Eric Clapton, is uh, his career is not doing too well. He um, just put out Money and Cigarettes, an album that did kind of okay. But um, he is definitely uh, at the nadir of his career. Um, the resurgence of Forever Man and uh, all that stuff that happened in the mid-'80s is still a couple years away. So um, Clapton's career is not doing tremendously well. I mean, he's playing fine. He's putting out content, but it's just that same old super slow, super mellow, lay down Sally shuffle kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, it's not inspired. Uh, Jimmy Page is basically a uh, moody loner at this point, a recluse in his house after uh, the death of John Bonham and the end and disintegration of Led Zeppelin. Jimmy has pretty much uh, stuck to home. He has done the occasional um, jam outside. In 1981, he jammed with Jeff Beck. In 82, he and Robert Plant jammed with Foreigner. And uh, in 83, 1983 in May, he uh, got on stage with Eric Clapton in uh, Guildford, UK, and uh, played a few songs with him. And one of these days, I think one of the episodes I will do are Jimmy's little uh, jams and one-off appearances. I want to kind of catalog them and give some examples of them. Because, uh, well, for me as a Zeppelin fan, that was always the most important, uh, or the most interesting part of Jimmy Page's career, was this little gap after Led Zeppelin and uh, before he came out with The Firm. And, you know, The Firm... As I said last episode, they're terrible. It's uh, it, was, it was just an absolute missed opportunity and uh, looked good on paper, but just the execution was uh, no good. <sighs> yeah, I'm right on that. There's no getting around it, no. So, anyway, back to uh, back to our topic at hand. So we have uh, Eric Clapton. We discussed Jimmy Page. He had done the Death Wish 2 soundtrack, but there was no tour or anything, and it's not the kind of project that really yielded a single, certainly not a hit single. It was a movie soundtrack for a crappy kind of action exploit uh, exploitation movie. Um, there's some good stuff to it, and he was it was impressive as hell that he got the whole thing done in eight weeks, start to finish. But um, again, you know, nothing to write home about, and it certainly didn't raise much of a blip, um, you know, in the public eye. Jeff Beck was uh, just kind of tooling along, I think. He was always kind of the, uh, always the bridesmaid, never a bride, of the Yardbirds guitarist, of which Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page are all guitarists for the Yardbirds. Um, so I don't, and you know, I don't actually know enough about Jeff Beck's career to know whether or not he was having a good time or not at this time. My understanding of Jeff Beck is that he has always been incredible. And even now, you know, in, in his 70s, he is just killing it night after night when he plays. 
Um, that's been my experience with what I've listened to. It's been my experience of what I've seen of him. So uh, let's just say Jeff Beck is maybe a constant in this. So, 1983, we've discussed the British invasion folks are kind of uh, at a fairly low point in their career. They're dealing with New Wave. They're dealing with MTV is a thing now. And, um, you know, they're all uh, the first generation of rock stars to, you know, move into middle age. They're all pushing 40 at this point to move into middle age while attempting to remain culturally and artistically relevant. You know, which is different from their the first generation of rock stars, the rock and roll guys. You know, your Jerry Lee Lewis, your Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Fats Domino, all those guys. Um, they were all great, but they kind of all did one thing. I mean, Chuck Berry, he has a Chuck Berry song. Jerry Lee Lewis, it's a Jerry Lee Lewis song. He does 30 different versions of that. Little Richard, I mean, same thing. There's not a lot of artistic growth in the shit six decades of their career. You know, they kind of kept doing the same thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's what entertainers did at that time. Um, but we have uh, these British invasion folks pushing 40 and uh, still on the charts and still trying to stay in the public eye and still remain relevant and not be relegated to the oldies bin. Um, they pulled it off, as you know, because Eric Clapton then had a huge... Uh, resurgence in the 80s that carried through until, you know, Jesus. He's still playing now. I listened to a concert of him in uh, England last week. He's still got it. He's in his 70s, and he's still great. So, uh, I'm sorry. I'm trying, to, uh, I'm trying to find the balance in the podcast between winging it, which I did in the first episode because I knew enough about the subject at hand, and... Um, you know, and balancing between that and an outline to follow so I don't get uh, you know, stuck up my own ass, as it were. And uh, I've, I've deleted a few different iterations of this already, and I'm just going to power through because I just want to get this goddamn thing done. So bear with me. If you don't like it, you can get your money back. So, okay. As we, we've established that it is uh, the low point or a low point for most of the British folks' careers. Um, and it's at this time in 1983 that um, the girlfriend of Ronnie Lane, who was the bass player for the Small Faces and then later on the Faces, uh, his girlfriend approached, I don't know who it was, it might have been Eric Clapton, it might have been Ian Stewart, I've read a couple of different versions of, of who it was, but basically approached someone in the British music industry and uh, said that Ronnie Lane, who was suffering from multiple sclerosis and unable to perform and unable able to play, um, basically he needed some help, and if, if would they be willing to do a benefit concert and... Uh, you know, help him out with some of his medical issues and maybe purchase a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, which, yes, is the same thing that Michael Jackson slept in to live forever, um, for use for MS sufferers in the London area because he had used it and uh, really reported uh, good results with, with alleviating and ameliorating the symptoms of MS. So, um, everybody loves Ronnie Lane. He, I guess, by all accounts, he's a really sweet guy. 
Jimmy Page was great friends with him and kept in touch with him and visited him right up until his death in uh, 1995, I think, is when Ronnie Lane died. Um, but basically, Ronnie Lane, um, for being so close to superstardom, I mean, the faces had Rod Stewart and Ronnie Wood fronting them. And, um, you know, they both went on to become huge. You know, Ronnie, Ronnie Wood became a Rolling Stone, and Rod Stewart became, you know, kind of a disco asshole, but a very successful disco asshole. So can't fault him there. But Ronnie Lane was, uh, you know, kind of a swing and a miss oftentimes. He, he never really broke through to uh, the fame and, and the wealth that his friends and peers did. So by the mid-70s, he was living in a, uh, a trailer um, on Pete Townsend's property. And uh, in fact, Ronnie Lane and Pete Townsend recorded an album together called Rough Mix, which definitely jot that down unbelievably good album the sound quality is one of the best sounding albums i've ever heard in my life um and you know you've got ronnie lane who's a great songwriter great singer very sad voice plaintive uh, melancholy um so you have he and uh pete townsend you have eric clapton on the album you have charlie watts you have john entwistle and just a whole bunch of other noteworthy british musicians and it's just exquisite it's called rough mix you know get it on amazon spotify whatever even listen to it on youtube but do yourself a favor it's a very very unappreciated gem so okay moving right along um Ronnie Lane living with Pete Townsend in 1977 during the recording of this album rough mix he's diagnosed with multiple sclerosis totally sucks symptoms worsen symptoms worsen over time and you know by by the early 80s he's he's essentially an invalid he's in a chair and he is just he's too weak to he's too weak to play guitar he's too weak to sing it's it's not a, it's not a great life and you know his friends were brokenhearted because he was like i said he was a sweet guy everybody loved him and you know uh, so when this opportunity came up to help him uh, a huge number of people jumped on board. Clapton jumped on board. Jeff Beck, um, Bill Wyman and Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones. Kenny Jones, who was the drummer for The Who, as well as being the drummer for The Faces and The Small Faces, uh, jumped on board. Um, Ray Cooper, who's... Uh, if you watch the ARMS videos, he's the crazy, bald percussionist between the drummers that loses his mind... Uh, but is really good. He's Elton John's main percussionist. Uh, uh, Steve Winwood. Holy shit. Steve Winwood, who is another one of these guys who is an incredible musician. In 1983, Steve Winwood was nobody. He was not famous. He was not the uh, AOR radio darling. He became just a few years later when he kind of uh, threw away all his incredible jazzy, fusion-y, African rhythm-y chops and went full-on pop with uh, Back in the High Life and Bring Me a Higher Love and all that stuff. But what are you going to do? You can't fault him for it. He became the biggest star in his 40s. So, yes, yeah, Steve Winwood's on board. Joe Cocker's on board. Paul Rogers from uh, Bad Company, who had also just recently broken up, is on board uh, for this benefit concert. And um, at one of these hoity-toity rock star famous people parties, 
Jimmy Page went up to, I believe it was Ian Stewart, and was like, hey, everybody's being asked to do this. Well, how come nobody ever asks me to do anything? And the reason for that being because, you know, out of all that group, he was still deep, deep, deep in uh, the, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. He was deep in his addiction. Clapton had just gotten sober. Jeff Beck really never had a problem with it. I mean, all the Rolling Stones guys, all the famous junkies of the 70s uh, who had survived were clean by this point or irrelevant. And um, Jimmy Starr, I mean, he was Led Zeppelin was the biggest group in the world. And uh, he, his name was still huge. But he was just, uh, he looked terrible. His teeth looked terrible. He looked like, I mean, just, you know, if you've watched an episode of Intervention, you know what it was. He was deep, deep, deep at rock bottom, essentially. But uh, he wanted in on this because he loved Ronnie, and I think he wanted to do something other than just be miserable and dying all day. So um, Eric Clapton, I guess, was the one that gave him a talking to about getting off the heroin. And... um, Apparently, according to what Ronnie Lane said, it went well. Jimmy did get clean um, after this. I don't know if he got clean before the ARMS concert and tour or whether directly after as a result of. But in any case, I mean, he was uh, the most unsteady of them all, juxtaposed with being the most popular and the biggest draw. I mean, who the audiences wanted to see. They wanted to see Jimmy Page. They wanted to see the guy from Led Zeppelin. Um, so the uh, the guys got together in the summer of 1983 in London and uh, got some rehearsal space, and everybody worked on their sets. It was going to be just basically one long concert with uh, three main short half-hour-ish kind of sets with Eric Clapton opening the show, moving into Jeff Beck, moving into Jimmy Page. And then at the end, everybody comes together and they, you know, everybody gets together and plays Layla and uh, Tulsa Time and, you know, just some stuff and thank you, good night. So they uh, rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. It's all going well. And uh, in September, I think it was the 20th and the 21st of 1983, the Arms concert, and at this time it was just going to be um, a fundraising concert that then became two nights at the Royal Albert Hall to benefit Ronnie Lane. And uh, it was professionally recorded and was professionally released on video. I watched it on MTV, um, God, just weeks after it aired because I know I watched the show before the actual ARMS tour happened, which happened in uh, late November, early December of 83. So I much MTV must have aired it, you know, October or early November. But um so they did the show. It went great. And uh the biggest applause break was Jimmy Page. The one that people wanted to see most was Jimmy Page. He came out and uh sucked <laughs> in many ways. At least that's what I thought when I was the, uh, 1983, how old was I? 15. What the 15-year-old Mark thought when uh, he watched that video. Stayed up late kind of thing. Watching it on MTV, 
suffering through the Eric Clapton set because I was 15 and Eric Clapton was just, you know, lay down Sally and just mellow shit like that. He didn't really rock out at that time. Uh, and then Jeff Beck was over my head, although uh, he was incredible. I waited for Jimmy Page. So then Jimmy Page comes out and I didn't even recognize him. He didn't even look like any of the pictures I saw. And, you know, 1983, this is before any of the books that came out about Led Zeppelin. This is before Hammer of the Gods. This is before any of the confessionals or biographies. Um, Led Zeppelin was a great big question mark. Um, Jimmy Page even more so. So when he came out and looked not like himself, he looked like a Skeletor in a uh, cheap wig, in a very loose suit, and uh, not with his Les Paul. He came out with his brown Telecaster, with the B-Bender. And the B-Bender, it literally, it's a device that uh, wraps around the B-string and attaches and is connected to the strap lock. And if you push on the guitar and it look or shrug your shoulder in a way, it pulls that strap lock, which turns the, uh, the wheel upon which the B-string is wrapped and then bends it. And it sounds a little bit like a slide guitar. It's a very country thing. And, um, if you listen to anything Jimmy Page recorded in the 80s, you know what that B-Bender sounds like. And um, he used it. Actually, he, it's the guitar he was playing in the uh, version of 10 Years Gone that we listened to last podcast. And if you haven't listened to last podcast, get your ass over there because it's, it's, it's a shorter podcast for sure. And uh, it, it deals with Led Zeppelin in one of their best concerts ever. So that's a good one. Okay, getting back to the task at hand. So, they have these concerts uh, at the Royal Albert Hall on September 20th and 21st. Like I said, Clapton did his set, uh, Jeff Beck did his set, and one neat, neat little thing with the Jeff Beck set is uh, there's a song that he put out in the uh, mid to late 60s, before he became Jeff Beck, and after he was uh, a Yardbird, I believe, just this little area in which Mickey Most, who was a British Invasion pop producer um, recorded him and it was a song called Hi Ho Silver Lining and it's just pure pop not Jeff Beck at all not cool not fusion not even really great guitar nothing to write home about other than a simple little ditty well Beck does this at the arms show and it just kills it's just great it's hilarious okay Jeff Beck plays his incredible set of absolute virtuoso guitar that he makes look effortless walks off the stage Jimmy Page comes out I don't recognize him he comes out with a guitar I don't recognize, a tone I don't recognize, doesn't say a word, and starts playing Prelude, which is from the Death Wish 2 soundtrack. So here we have a guy that I don't recognize, a guitar I don't recognize, and he's not even playing Zeppelin music. Pissed me off. Um, it was kind of sloppy. It was kind of tenuous. And of the three guitarists, he was absolutely the... Uh, least awesome. It was definitely not a Night of Kings, as they called it. It was kind of a missed opportunity. It would have been great to see all great guitarists, because Clapton, although he wasn't, you know, setting the stage on fire, he was playing great. He was just playing a lot of slow blues stuff and a lot of lay-down Sally kind of stuff that's not really rocking. Um, a little boring for me, that's all. Um, Jimmy came out and opened with Prelude from the Death Wish 2 soundtrack, which now, in retrospect, I think that performance is actually sublime. 
I think the delivery is perfect, and the very end of it just gives me chills um, all the time. I'm not going to play it because, as I said, it was um, it was professionally recorded and released. Uh, I know the I know the videotape is long out of print, but I believe a DVD is still available, and uh, I am cool with sharing live recordings with you. But I'm I'm far less so um, doing anything that's professionally released and officially released. That's a uh, that's a big no no. But you know, get on YouTube, look for it. It's there. All this stuff is on YouTube. In fact, I'm going to leave a bunch of links on my website, which is heartofmarkness.com, so that you know if this interests you, you can go back and look at these. You can watch this concert. You can watch the other concerts I mentioned. You can watch in full at least three of the concerts from the tour. And there's audio for a few more. And at one point, I had audio for all, but uh, I just can't find it now. I think it's on, you know, I've had over over the decades, I've had a few hard drives crash on me. And uh, I think the, one of the casualties of one of the hard drive crashes was my collection of all the ARMS concerts. I tried to scramble and get together and listen to them all, and I couldn't. I don't have them. I got as many as I could, but then I realized, you know, this isn't this isn't a graduate level uh, seminar, and you know, I'm not recording this for the Smithsonian or the Library of Congress, so I don't have to listen to all the shows of the tour. I've listened to what I have. I listened to a bunch of them. I remember the rest. So, God, I am just uh, hopefully not boring the hell out of you guys today. I'm trying. Bear with me. Okay. Arms concerts go well. Jimmy comes out, plays Prelude, and then he goes into uh, City Sirens from the Death Wish 2 soundtrack with Steve Winwood singing with him. Not bad. Um, Steve's obviously reading off a piece of paper, but the delivery is great. The song's pretty good. Jimmy plays pretty well. Um, He's using Jeff Beck's rhythm section which does not do him any favors because Simon Phillips and uh, Fernando Saunders, who was also Lou Reed's bass player um, at that time, and I think right up until he died, um, off and on maybe, but I know I know he played bass up at the end. Um, you know, they're, they're right on the beat, and Simon Phillips is just all, you know, double bass, double bass, double bass, but not, he doesn't swing in the way John Bonham does, and he's not reactive and responsive to Jimmy's playing so it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of indicative of what we're going to listen to throughout the entire decade of the 80s with Jimmy Page as he chooses uh, incompatible bandmates. Um, but his playing was okay. It's brittle. I don't like his tone. And he's certainly not coming out and killing it like Jimmy Page from The Song Remains the Same. It's a whole new, um, whole new set of songs because he doesn't play any Zeppelin until the very end. Um... It's a new guitar, a new tone, and a new style of playing, in which he's, he he does he, he moves away from, you know, the pentatonic blues route, which isn't where he was, you know, mired, but it, it was a primary, um, primary set in his toolbox, to, just a a different manner of playing revolved around the B bender more, and uh, it's just not as strong, and I didn't care for it, as much, and I think if you listen to it. You know, you'll you'll even if you like it and go, wow, that's really cool. It's it's not going to move you the way, you know, um, the Montreux Jazz Festival concert of 1970 with Led Zeppelin 
would just pull you out of your seat and make you go, holy fuck, who is that? But, uh, you know, he pulled it off. He did City Sirens. He did Who's to Blame. And uh, then he strapped on the double neck and did a completely instrumental version of Stairway to Heaven that really comes off cheesy. And at no point does he speak to the audience. So it's completely baffling. There's not even a hey, which changes on the Arms Tour. But, um, you know, so he plays this version of Stairway to Heaven that's, you know, Jesus, you know, it's like 11 minutes long or however long it is without any vocals, just him and this 1980s, you know, Jeff Beck's band is not the band you want playing Stairway to Heaven behind you because it just sounds super cock rocky and there's no subtlety, there's no swing. And, you know, you have the vocal line being played by a, a guy on a synthesizer. So it's womp, 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 womp. It, it's just, it's cheesy. It's cheesy and it's, um, what saves it from being sad is the response of the audience who loses their shit. And when they get to the States, the audiences go even crazier and they sing along and they make it an experience which is what Jimmy was going for. You know, he's the whole purpose of that was like, look, this song is what people think of when they think of me. This is what people expect. This is what they love. I'm going to give it to them. And uh, it worked on the road, but watching it on TV, it just looked cheesy. And, you know, he did not kill it with the solo. He, the tone of the guitar was just sharp. Not, not sharp flat, but just sharp and brittle. And his fingers weren't fluid he was just um he, he did not pull it off watching it on video i'm sure there in the audience it was great but um so yeah the concert's over and um it raised so much buzz and everybody loved doing it and had enough had so much fun that they decided to take it on the road and do a handful of dates in the U.S. And by a handful of dates, I mean uh, the tour opened in Dallas, did a couple nights in Dallas, it moved to San Francisco, did a few nights in San Francisco, did a couple nights in L.A., and then went to New York and did two nights in New York, and we're done. Um, that was starting at the end of November, so there were like six weeks off from the uh, official arms concert at the Royal Albert Hall, and then um, the launch of the U.S. tour in uh, the end of November. And uh, due to scheduling conflicts, Stevie Winwood could not make it. Paul Rogers could. So Jimmy started working with Paul, and that was, of course, the genesis of the firm. And one of the things that they did, you know, I think from this point on, I'm just going to narrow down and talk about Jimmy's set. Um, what they did on the tour was um, the song Midnight Moonlight, which is a firm song, um, dates back to Led Zeppelin and goes on. I think start, I think the first iteration of it starts showing up in around 1974 and uh, was going to be this piece called Swan Song, this giant cyclical instrumental piece um, that never really came to fruition but um, had enough components that Jimmy carried through and was like, I want to do something with this. 
And um, so on the arms tour, which opened in Dallas, um, he, they literally were like, look, we're working on this song together. It's called bird on a wing from one of the lyrics. We don't have it finished. We're just working. It's a work in progress. So bear with us. And, um, they went with it. It was super ballsy and occasionally it worked. Um, I think in San Francisco, I believe it is December 2nd. It was the whole set was was just magical. It was great. Jimmy came out and just killed it start to finish. Uh, even Midnight Moonlight, which is it is <laughs> tedious at best. Um, it, it was good. The band didn't really get the cues. It was a little sloppy, but it had it had drive. Um, and the, uh, they started off in Dallas, as I said. It, those shows, Jimmy-wise, not that great. Um, I think he was very, very nervous to the point of actual anxiety and stage fright. Um, and even though, even though he wasn't using heroin anymore at this point, I believe, um, there was still lots of, of, of booze and cocaine and, uh, I believe, uh, Valium. So, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't on heroin, but he, he was still fucked up. Um, maybe not on stage all the time, but definitely on stage some of the time. Um, but by the time they got to San Francisco, he kind of found his sea legs and really, um, came out with some style. He would come out with, uh, with like, uh, those Roger McGuinn tinted granny glasses, his jacket, his scarf, his rings, and, uh, walk out to the mic, greet everybody, thunderous applause because everybody in the U.S., Jimmy Page hasn't been seen in the U.S. for six years, almost seven years, since the 77 tour. He has not been in the United States. There's been no Led Zeppelin, nobody playing. So he was definitely the big draw, you know, like, oh, my God, dude, we're going to see Jimmy Page. Um, so he came out like a, he came out like a baller. He, he came out and took off his ring and took off his scarf and <coughs> his guitar tech. And come out and put the guitar on him and he'd be like, hey and, you know, talking to the audience and stuff, which he did not do in London. It was way creepy. This time he came out and was, you know, came out the rock star, and you could you could just see him drinking in the adulation. And uh, from that point on, you know, it was hit or miss. Sometimes he was sloppy and offbeat, uh, and sometimes he just was, was really, really awesome. Um, I'm going to play a track that's one of those pretty pretty awesome ones um his opening when he walked out the song prelude from death wish 2 december 1st 1983 san francisco california the cow palace jimmy page walks out straps on the guitar and plays this enjoy i really like this one
So what'd you think? I really like that. It's grown on me. Um, I did not like it in my teens. I thought it was cheesy and dumb and not rock and roll. And But, you know, grading him on the curve is beautiful. There's some good phrasing in there. It's pretty. Executed fine. Whatever. It's, uh, it's Jimmy Page of the 80s. You know, one of the big lessons is, you know, in, in, in listening to Jimmy Page in the 80s is, Led Zeppelin's really over, and this is kind of like when Miles Davis came back and sounded nothing like the Miles Davis of old and didn't have the runs and the pitch and the tone, but he was still Miles Davis. That's kind of what's going on here, you know, on a lower level, I think. You know, genius as Jimmy is, Miles uh, was a god. But, um, so yeah, that was Prelude. It then kicked off into his Death Wish 2 set, he does a set uh, song with Paul Rogers off of Paul Rogers' solo album called Boogie Mama, where they do strap on the Les Pauls, but uh, Jimmy doesn't really wail on it. Um, good little rock and roll song. They go into Midnight Moonlight, or Bird on a Wing as it's called, um, which is, is, is fine. And uh, then there's Stairway, yada, yada, yada. For Stairway on the... U.S. tour as opposed to what happened in London. Um, during the end of Stairway, towards the end of Jimmy's solo, Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck come out and join him. And um, some of it's pretty good. Some of it's not that inspired. Some of it's, I mean, it's good. It's fun. It's the first time to see them all together really playing um, something of Jimmy's. Because um, they jam together on with Joe Cocker on a little help from your friends, they jam with uh, Clapton on Layla and Tulsa time, and then my favorite part of the uh, of the entire of the entire concert, including Jimmy's set, I'm sorry, is at the end um, a few times. I don't know if it happened all the time, but at least uh, on the majority of the dates, Ronnie Lane would come out. And sing um, "Goodnight Irene," which I love that song. It's a sweet moment. His voice is—you is, could tell he's struggling, and you know he has to be helped out to the microphone. And, and you know, that one three-minute song is all he can muster. But um, it kills me. And what makes me what what makes me love that song so much, aside from the just it's a great song and Ronnie's voice is great for it, is. Jimmy really plays some of my favorite solos of the entire tour in this song. Some nights, it's, it's a swing and a miss. Because, you know, Jimmy wings it every time. He tries not to keep the same solos. You know, he does for some songs, like Black Dog, it's the same every time. Which is fine, because it's Black Dog. But, um, you know, a lot of times he just fucking, you know, would go out on stage and wing it. Which, when it worked, was magic. Um... Here, it, it, it's starting to flicker and work again. And um, this song I'm going to play you is Goodnight Irene from the same show, uh, December the 1st. And when it comes time to solo, everybody plays a solo. And they're all good, but Jimmy plays the first solo of the, of the trio. And I just love it. I love the emotion he rings out of it. It is not my favorite performance of the tour, but I can't find audio of it. There's video on YouTube of it, and I think it's um, I think it's I think it's December third. 
Actually, um, it's December 2nd, 1983, and although I couldn't find good quality audio of it on the, on the quick, I did rip the audio from the uh, YouTube video. So, it's fine. It's in soundboard stereo. Um, it's totally enjoyable. And um, in this version, I don't believe Eric and Jeff take solos. I think it's just Jimmy. I'm not sure. You'll be able to tell. But um, it's great. And if you see the video of this, when Jimmy's playing his solo, he goes right up to Ronnie Lane and uh, just hams it up for him. It's great. And then on his final little, uh, the final little lick as his solo ends, he just cuts the volume on his guitar and steps back and kind of just disappears. It's a nice little fun interlude. And... Um, I just love this solo. I love the song. It's sweet. Um, Ronnie Lane, his voice is perfect. He's kind of like Rick Danko from the band in that his voice has that kind of wistful melancholy all the time. Um, but anyway, let's take a listen to this. Um, Good Night, Irene, December 2nd, 1983. Arms Concert, San Francisco. On stage we have... Uh, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, Bill Wyman, Andy Fairweather Lowe playing guitar. Um, actually, for this song, everybody's out here. Joe Cocker, Paul Rogers, everybody is just standing around mics and kumbaya, you know, holding hands and swaying back and forth and singing. It's fun. It's a great moment. The energy's great, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Give a listen.
Well, I love Irene. Oh, God knows I do. Yeah, I love her until the river runs dry. About a she should ever take leave of me. I'll bring her What'd you think? I really liked it. Now, I know the selections that I played for you today may not be exactly what you wanted to hear most. I um, imagine the idea of a Stairway to Heaven with Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page trading solos would have a uh, an appeal, and I understand that. But uh, the thing is, <laughs> it, it really doesn't. It really doesn't, and I don't want to play you know, 11 minutes of instrumental stairway um, just to get to this kind of muddy mixed um, jam. If you want to see that and you want to see some of the other things I mentioned that I don't want to put up uh, here because they're professionally released, check out my webpage, heartofmarkness.com. Like I mentioned, I will have a list of links where you can watch the shows on YouTube, um, multiple shows, the the official ones in England as well as... Um, the last night in New York on the 9th, um, a couple of the San Francisco shows, and I think there might be an L.A. show up there. I'm not quite sure. But in any case, um, I, I hope you enjoyed this. I know it's longer than any than the last one we did, and, um, you know, I'm feeling my way here. I'm trying to keep it spontaneous so that it just sounds like I'm talking to you, which is what I'm doing. Um but I also want to keep on track. So um, this is just my second one. They'll get better as they go along. But um, I hope you enjoyed the topic, the Arms Concert. It was a, a watershed moment for Jimmy Page. After the tour ended, he immediately got together with Paul Rogers. The tour ended on uh, December 9th, 1983. And uh, the next month, January of 84, he was auditioning drummers for the firm. So... You know, he got back on it, and, you know, as I've said a couple times, The Firm is not my favorite band at all, but it certainly was nice to have Jimmy Page creating music again and in a band, and I saw him on the both Firm tours, and I'm glad I did. So, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, one last remnant of the Arms Tour was the recording of an album called Willie and the Poor Boys, Willie being Bill Wyman. Um... 
an album from most of the arms folks um, of rock and roll standards that was put out by Bill Wyman to benefit the Ronnie Lane Appeal for Arms charity. And uh, Paul Rogers and Jimmy Page did a, an excellent version of Otis Redding's These Arms of Mine. It's really good. And the video is just priceless. That'll be another link for you to see because you just got to see that video. It's the best. I hope you enjoyed this. I believe our next episode is going to be on the XYZ project, which is uh, XYZ for X, Yes, and Zeppelin. Um, a short project in 1981 that Jimmy Page did with Chris Squire and Alan White from Yes. Chris Squire was a neighbor of Jimmy Page's, and Yes had uh, broken up after the drama tour of 1980. And uh, Led Zeppelin, of course, had broken up in 1980 as well. So these two neighbors had nothing to do, and they got together and recorded some tracks. We'll deal with that next time, and uh, then I think we'll get back to some really good Led Zeppelin concerts, because, you know, that's kind of where the, where the money is. So, hope you enjoyed it. Um, leave me your comments, etc., feedback. I'm always open to it. Have some uh, mercy on the quality. I'm learning audacity as I go along. And I know a couple of these edits are fairly jarring, but, um, you know, I'm doing my best and I'll get better as time goes by. Thanks a lot and see you later. <laughs>